Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrate.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. We've got a lot of more personnel news to get to as the offseason tends to take us there in June and July. And we've got decommitments, hoops commitments, uh, some medical updates. You know, let's start with the decommitment because that, unfortunately, was the biggest news <laughs> around Notre Dame football in the last couple of weeks. Braden Lindsay, the four-star Wide receiver out of Oregon, flips to Oregon, in-state school, wants to run track there. For those of you not versed in college track, uh, flipping to Oregon to run track is like flipping to Alabama to play football. Um, It's hard to criticize the decision. Unfortunately, it removes a very unique piece to Notre Dame's recruiting class because we were all there on National Signing Day, and Brian Kelly said we got to add more speed at the skill positions. That's cornerback and wide receiver, and right now they are 0 for 2 at both spots. I almost never blink when there's a decommitment because good programs should be able to handle all those things, and you know, when guys transfer, they're rarely good players. But this one, I blinked. I saw that, and I just thought he it's the type of guy that he can make the offense better like Will Fuller did as he goes on through. I don't mean coming as a freshman, but when you develop and you make the whole offense better with that type of speed, they had him and you really can't, I mean, you can't blame him. As you said, he, he flipped to uh, something that's going to be good for his career in, in another sport. And I think it's, I think it's a hit. Obviously. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, wake, wide receivers, a position you can make up for all around, but that's it. It was a special, <laughs> special talent with that top end speed. Yeah. I, I mean, Eugene, Oregon is the center of, yeah. The tr- college track universe. Um, my oldest brother lives out there, and I, you know, I mean, it's it's huge. And Nike, his dad works for Nike. Is that yes. correct? Brain Lindsay. So you had to, you you knew there was a a, a red flag there, uh, you know, along. But uh, I thought Brayden Lindsay was one of the two best players in the class among the verbal yeah. commitments, along with Derek Allen. Certainly the best and most explosive offensive player, and Derek Allen, um, you know, at safety. But um, Derek Allen would have been actually a bigger hit for Notre Dame, though. Yeah, Lindsay, that's true. If you want to look yeah, at it that way. Yeah, that's true. Not necessarily um, the way to look at it. But. No, because yeah. you have to play defense and offense. Right. And, 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 and Pete, you're yeah. right. I mean, they're looking for speed at those two positions, and they're... They don't have any right now. No, they really, they don't. They don't. So, um, you know, it's huge. I, I You know, I, I know that Braden Lindsay hasn't necessarily uh, established himself against quality competition, but... You know, we all kind of get paid to some extent to look at film, and when you see an athlete like that on the field, that's a significant loss for Nordic. Yeah, they need guys who can run fast, and they don't have enough of them right now. Uh, they did add a tight end the next day. George Takis out of Florida has Indiana roots, as Braden Lindsay did too. His dad is actually a Purdue grad. Uh, but Takis, his mom went to grad school at Notre Dame, grew up a Notre Dame fan. This wasn't a huge surprise, 6'7", about 240. Um, you know, just sort of... And we're getting into Robbie Carmody, the hoops recruit, next. George Takis is a guy I feel like Notre Dame signs every single year. Um, they signed a tight end who's 6'5 and up and probably about 240 pounds coming out of high school. And uh, you look at the depth chart, it doesn't look significant now because they have six tight ends or five, excuse five. me, five tight ends. But after this year, they might just have three. Um, and George Takis could be the fourth, and that is sort of a functional number for, I think, Chip Long's offense just to practice. So he'll be at the opening later this week. I'll get to see him work out against top competition. Uh, should be fairly enlightening. But, um, I mean, he's a, he's a guy Notre Dame signs every year, and they need to keep signing this guy every year. Uh, you know, I, I like him. I mean, he's got good length. He's got more than 6'5 length, really, or, or it looks that he does. Um, 
you know, I think he's more of a, you know, kind of uh, drag route kind of guy crossing the field. I, I, I think he can. I think he can beat you down the seam mainly because of his length, but that's not going to be his strength. He's going to be an underneath route guy. I like his length and his blocking. He's aggressive off the off the snap. He's an aggressive blocker. He's a very willing blocker. So I think they have a good football player. And there. I think he's a good pledge to follow Brock Wright and uh, Cole Komet because you can. As long as you have four uh, in 2018, you can redshirt easily. We are going to easily redshirt Texas. Yeah. Uh, if you're three, you get pressed in a little bit of a position where you hope you don't have to play him. But as, as Pete said, that you, it's you don't even know with with a class that's shrinking. Do they need a tight end because of what they have? Well, you need to get fit Nick Wisher back in, and then he can redshirt because we all are assuming right. that Alizé Mack. If he does well, and it doesn't have to be statistically well, if he just looks as yeah, good as we think he is, he's a guy that, that is looking at the next level. And yeah. it's not easy to go, but he's he's a guy looking at the next level. Yes, I mean, I, I'm not... Between Wisher and Mac, I'm assuming one will be here next year. I don't know which one, um, but I don't think both will be here in just, 2018. You're saying that because there's not enough room on the roster. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's there's limited and limited opportunity because if Mac comes back, then Wisher's not starting. Maybe right, right, right. will have passed him by. Maybe he'll be a, does. He'll be a Northern graduate. He can go try and make some pay for himself statistically at a different school. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. So N- that's... N- Norton gets a verbal commitment from Robbie Carmody, uh, 6'4", listed shooting guard, uh, which, which is what he is. In, in some discussions with some Notre Dame people, um, they threw out the name Conant, and, and, and I think that it, that's more of an attitude than his actual style of game. I, I think the, the Steve Vastoria comparison is very accurate, especially in terms of finishing around the rim, uh, at least at the end of the last three years of, of Vastoria's career. That's what Carmody does well. Very nice uh, pull-up jumper. I don't know that he's a spot-up guy. Because he's somebody that's kind of struggled a little bit on the AAU circuit, shooting from distance. But the comparison to Khan is made because of demeanor, attitude, willingness to scrap, willingness to rebound, toughness. Toughness. Um, so that's a pretty that's a pretty nice nice combination. You pair him up with Prentice Hub, who previously committed. I like if you're go- if you want to make a comparison and look at Carmody's skill set, and then just say he has a lot of Pat Connaughton's attitude in him. That's that's good enough for me. But we'll yeah. never compare anyone to Pat Connaughton because he no, led yeah. the ACC in three-point percentage and defensive rebounding when he was 6'4". <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not going to happen again. It's not. <laughs> but no. is that, bringing in that attitude, that's great. I do have, you know, I don't, I don't think quickness issues are a problem on the offensive end for Carmody because he's so good in the paint. I think the quickness issues could show up defensively, and I don't know that he'll be the Vastoria defender. Uh, but it's a, look, it's a nice catch. It's a top yeah. 100 guy that you know anybody in the Big Ten would have wanted. He was going to visit Michigan when he pulled the trigger on Notre Dame, and he had just visited Purdue. And theoretically, they have actually upgraded their speed on the perimeter. Not theoretically, when when Hub and Harvey are here, that's perimeter quickness with hands and feet in the future. So it's you can get by with not having all all top tier defenders in right. the perimeter as long and as Carmody brings it on the offensive end. They they've also been recruiting Dane Goodwin, who's considered a better shooter, and they. I mean, I think they kind of played Goodman and I'm sorry, Goodwin and Carmody off of each other. I don't know if that uh, determined Carmody's decision, but they still may take Goodwin anyway because he's a shooter. He's considered a better shooter. So a lot of good things are happening on the recruiting front for Northern basketball. Yeah, it's, I mean, a year from now, coming live will be Carmody, Prentice Hub, and Juwan Durham. 
I mean, that's when you look at that yeah. as a three-man haul. That would you say that is Bray's best recruiting class? Well, Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it'd be up for discussion. Yeah, and you know what? You put it this way: throw Harvey on top of it, just being one year older, and it is because his other best recruiting classes, he didn't have a top one hundred player before them. Yeah. You gotta look at it that yeah. way. He's July. I mean, you're gonna. I'm gonna be out of town, Tim. You're gonna get maybe you two, Peter, get an opportunity to see Juwan Durham in an open practice in the first week of July. And if you see some clips of him, I mean, this is he a can long. Dunk. This is a this is a long, athletic, above the rim player. And we don't say above the rim player very often. Only Pat Connaughton, just no, Yeah, well, and it's Zach August too. But like, I look at Elijah Burns, who I think can bring a lot to the equation. He looks like a below-the-rim player to me, and certainly Martin Gebbin is as well. All right. Uh, from the team aspect of Notre Dame football, Kevin Sefferson, some minor legal news, one-year probation, uh, and then Daniel Cage reportedly knee surgery, I believe, June 15th. Um, I am really concerned about Daniel Cage in terms of his ability to impact this season. Uh, I felt like with the multiple concussions, O'Malley, I know you felt the same way, that it was just sort of the next one was always going to be around the corner. Uh, but now to take a hit on your conditioning, I don't I don't think people factor this in enough when they're talking about return from injury. Because you return from injury, then you basically start conditioning again to get in shape. By the time Daniel Cage returns from injury to start conditioning again, training camp may have already started. And... To work yourself back into shape in August is just, it's just not a healthy place to be. Plus, we should clarify what Brian Kelly says, because people are always saying he gives you the best case scenario of injury. When he says he's 100% cleared to play, that means he's medically healthy and cleared to play. It doesn't mean he can go out and be a good football player yet. Right. It, it, means it doesn't mean his no. physical conditioning is at the right. level it where it means needs to be. means his knee is healthy and he can go back. Pete, do you have a sense for the, the severity? And, and first of all, I totally agree with you. I mean, here's a guy that has had... Injury problems. He the day he came in, it was a conditioning issue. He didn't have the stamina to play. You know, he threw up in front of us the first his first practice. There ever. you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I mean, even if it's a even if it's a minor tear, quick fix, you know, short rehab. We're talking about a we're talking first of all we're talking about a guy over three hundred pounds mm-hmm. who was in very poor physical condition when he came out in the spring. Right. I mean. On the surface, you can say, oh, well, he can bounce back from that. But this is not a guy that you can put in the category of quick bounce back. And, and, and the history shows that. Yeah, and, and there may be something else that he has to bounce back from later. Um, you know, he just he's had a he's had a bad run of injuries. Whether I think he's had knee, ankle, elbow. concussion, elbow. It just it's it's hard to be three hundred twenty pounds. <laughs> just like I, I I don't think people give enough credence to that. Just like the body's not made to do that. And a lot, not everyone's body can hold up uh, in those conditions where you're just getting beat up with that size. So if Daniel Cage can be, I mean, if I sat here and we were doing this podcast at the end of the end of the season, I said, Daniel Cage played 250 snaps. So less than, you know, basically 20, 20, 20, 20 a game, regular season, those 12 games. I, I take I I would sign yeah. up for that yeah because okay backing up Jerry Tillery on the nose is the bite is now the best case scenario my best case scenario was he has been a set you know previously he had been ascending since the spring and maybe just maybe they can play together sometimes now it's just that's he, what I was kind of hoping if he backs up Jerry Tillery, Tillery three great 
No, and I think that's a, all of a sudden it's a yeah, solid it's position gonna, too. Well, and we've said it before we went on the air. Darnell Yule. I mean, we've said from the beginning Darnell Yule is going to play. He's really going to play now. Yeah. He he has to be in the mix. And then, you know, is it those other nondescript backup interior defense alignment, or do you look at Tago Vailoa? Uh, I don't know that Heinish will be physically ready to to make the transition as a freshman on the collegiate level. So, if Daniel Cage can play. Five snaps against Temple, nine against Georgia, and then start playing twenty. Maybe that's good too. They could probably, you know, you could maybe get out of that game. It's it's worth noting that because it's not like Jerron Jones with his injury issues last year. I mean, he in November was a much better player than he was in September. Um, that's you know maybe Daniel Cage if he can stay healthy throughout the season right. that will happen. But he's he's just had so many injuries that he can't get on a good run of conditioning where he's in shape and ready to go. It's just it's a difficult situation for the guy. He missed a month for concussions last year. It wasn't yeah. he missed a game or two. And yeah. I think he probably wisely shut it down because they were four and six going in the last two games. Maybe you don't go back out there. And I'm I mean I would in that situation, that's a good time to not risk things when you're not playing for yeah. BCS championship, I understand. Maybe you're medically cleared and don't play anyway. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And the year before he missed multiple games. Yeah. So I think they're not there's a lot of issues for him and I, I He's a, he's a good player when he's out there. He was a really good player, backup player, as a sophomore on that 2015 team. That was his best, Daniel Cage. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, Pete, Pete's going to be going to the opening. Before we get into that, and give it because it's going to be heavy on, on Notre Dame prospects and, and commits, but uh, I, I had the opportunity to go see Chuck Martin. Uh, I guess it's been about 10 days now at uh, in Oxford, Ohio, Miami of Ohio. I knew... <laughs> First of all, it's always entertaining to get together with Chuck Martin, as you guys know. He's <laughs> how, many, uh, how many batteries did you use in your? I, I did have to change midway through uh, the interview because I was there quite a bit. It's amazing to me, and I went to see him three years ago before he started first his first year there. How a head coach in a place his phone never rang, he never checked his phone. It was the same way three years ago, but I figured, oh, he's new on the job. He doesn't know that many people yet. But when he carves out time, man, he carves out time. They were in their new facility, and I knew. You know, I knew it would be a, an interesting story with him because, first of all, their story from last year, the no team in the 12-game regular season uh, era uh, has ever lost their first six and won their next six, and they completely turned around. It's a good story. It's a fun story if you haven't read it, but I also knew that it would elicit some responses from people that, oh, yeah, bring him back as the next head coach. And then, of course, you know, he's coached at Grand Valley State and had a little bit of success in Miami, Ohio. Does that qualify you to be ready for Notre Dame? Probably not. So, uh, always an interesting guy. Yes, he he missed out on the uh, uh, the press conferences at Notre Dame, <laughs> mainly be, not because he didn't want to do it, but mainly because uh, everybody on the staff wasn't on board with those. Oh, the happiest day of his life was the BCS pregame. The, the yes, day he talked about that. He had, did he really? He yeah. had his own yeah. podium to yeah. talk about the Notre Dame offense in front of everyone in the world. Yeah, him that and was, Everett Golson, I think, were up there together. Yeah. Golson was like, take it away, Chuck. Yeah. And he's fully capable of taking well, he, it away. You know, he has some real strong opinions about media and how it should be handled both with coaches and, and players as well. So if the day ever comes when he's the head coach in Notre Dame, it will be interesting to see how he runs his program. The notion was floated that hiring Martin would be hiring a Brian Kelly clone. That's not accurate. These are two, I mean, they've been together certainly, and he followed Brian Kelly at Grand Valley, but these are two very distinct personalities. I don't think that that's a clone of Brian Kelly. I'm curious your opinion, 
uh, on this, you know Martin better than we do. Just how how many stops would he need to make before he would come back here? One or zero? Before he would come yeah. back here? No, I mean, I mean before he would be hired. <laughs> he to would come, come back, back here. on August first yeah. if they asked. Right. <laughs> I mean, do you look at the way his career's gone? Where you know, unless they go twelve and zero this year, like he would still need to go to. Uh, Northwestern or something of that nature, uh, a, a mid-level Power Five school, and win there before. Like the old Utah, with I think. Admired. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're talking about or Cincinnati, okay, you're going to yeah, be yeah. you're going to be getting together with Jack Swarbrick, so you can ask yeah, him that sure. actually. But you know, I mean, I think that what little that we we do know, Jack Swarbrick, I, it, when he hired Brian Kelly, he talked about he needed a guy with head coaching experience. This guy has head coaching experience, but. It's Division Two, and it's it's Mid American Conference football. That's not, you know, quite to the level that mm-hmm. you would like it. If he Woodjets, goes twelve and zero, it includes being yeah. No, that's what Cincinnati, I'm saying. So. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he's got a, he has a chance to do that now. In order to do that, yeah, he's, that he's would be you know, Notre Dame is one of the games that he's going to have to win. And but I, you know, it's amazing. I mean, they were projected last going into last season. In the East Division of the MAC, and they tied for first. They lost to Ohio University, so they lost the the tiebreaker. But I mean, he clearly feels this is his best team. Uh, you know, he's been playing those young guys. It's just fun. He's just such a character, and it's funny to hear him. You know, talk about when he got there. Just how just how bad he said the guys that he inherited. They didn't like football. They didn't want to play football. <laughs> you know, they yeah, just wanted. They were getting. They were getting their butts kicked by Wisconsin. They just wanted to get on the bus, get home, and get to Uptown because Miami of Ohio has a, has a reputation for two things: great academics and a great party school. Yeah, I remember uh, looking at a Miami. Yeah, Ohio. and he said, you know, we had to start recruiting. Not that the, not that they were putting academics in the background, but we had to start recruiting some darn football players. Because a lot of those guys just they weren't invested. Were they recruiting to their number one ranked party scene? <laughs> to a it's large like the Mendoza extent. College of yeah, Business, yeah, but I mean, like the opposite. Large, to a large extent, and and I, I guess to a large extent, you yeah. still kind of have to do yeah. that. But he needed more football players, yeah. and and a lot of those young guys. I mean, he's got seventeen starters returning, and they have playing experience. From from your interview with Chuck, and from knowing Chuck off the field. Pete's question of a win would they be ready to come to Notre Dame? If he beats Notre Dame in this 12 0, he's not leaving town. Yeah. Yeah. He'll he, just stay in he, town and be, be like, like, all right, you're Matt Rule I'm, theory. I'm, ready. I'm right here. No, I mean, make, <laughs> but I, they I, won't be Notre Dame. Make, make, uh, dude, yeah, I would not. Yeah, I would you're saying off the two road games makes it tough for Notre Dame, too? A couple physical games? I just. Three physical games. I in just a row, think right? that his team will come. When you think about what they did at the end of last year and then they go play, play Mississippi State, they are trying to play it how bad. They will be get, to watch that. Well, I just. I, I want the I want the full gravity of what you're saying to be recognized. Yes, I know. I we're to we're talking about a scenario where Miami of Ohio comes to Notre Dame with McGlinchey, Nelson, Wimbush, <laughs> all those guys. Morgan. That were, yeah, those were all on Notre yeah. Dame's team last year too, when they went four and eight. I I and, agree. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're going to beat Notre Dame. I'm saying Miami could come in and beat on the top of their game and ready to play. Nordin will not be. There's no way they will be. I, I can it's see a five them o'clock. making it's an it. It's odd kickoff. Everything is weird about it. And when I say physical, 
Am I making Michigan State physical? Because they used to be, by the way. But yeah. they have Georgia at Michigan State at BC. So your, your letdown game is certainly when your team is not 100% committed to the cause all week. Yeah. Which is what matters. It's not I'm like not, they don't try during like, the game. I'm not drinking the Chuck Martin no. Kool-Aid because You're of this. saying I'm it's saying not saying the best he, position. No, and yeah. he's in his fourth year there. And, and he's they're playing good, good ball. And they've got the facilities. And they've got the confidence. They're going to come to Notre Dame Stadium. Now there's going to be some... You know, some stargazing a little bit for some guys. But they've already, you know, they've played Wisconsin. They've played Iowa. They had Mississippi State. They outgained Mississippi State by 100 yards. They should have won the game. I don't think they're going to be starstruck. And, I mean, it's just, I'm just saying it's an opportunity for, it's a it's an upset special or a game in which they can really give Notre Dame trouble. Not an upset special. But they will come in probably winning 9 of 10 games, right? I mean, hmm. They will yeah, come. Up, they will come seven. in as a as a hot. Uh, team. They've got Tennessee. they've got Central Michigan the week before. They've got Cincinnati. They've lost too. Cincinnati. I mean, they've got a couple challenging. Cincinnati's a rebuild. But I the mean. Cincinnati thing is interesting. I asked Tim about this because they've lost us. It's a big game for my Ohio. Yeah. Obviously, they've lost to him eleven years in a row, and Martin's three years have all been like killer, heartbreaking yeah. three and four point yeah. losses. Yeah. So like, that's a big game for their team. Yeah. Is, I mean, you could game. see Miami coming in sky high, ready to go, and then just get. I would hope Notre Dame would just beat the crap let me, out of him. Let me quickly get back to your original question, Pete, is would Notre Dame pull the trigger yeah. on him? I I, I think guess I would say, I would scenario say where you yeah, I mean, I would think he no, would have no. to have a spectacular season. Uh, his comment about, you know, I said, you know how Eric Parcia got the job? Yeah. He said, yeah, <laughs> Northwestern beat Notre Dame. He said, I wish I had Northwestern's team. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that's that, that's the that's what I I think that's what we like about him is that he is there's an unvarnished version to to Chuck Martin. He told one fib during that interview. What he's about, not sure who he's rooting for. Yeah, well, uh, he, didn't, I know, he didn't quite say. No, I know, he didn't but quite say that. He, yeah, that's I, the game he wants more than any other game. I, there's game? no doubt. I I, I cajoled him about <laughs> yeah, the comment, so I'll go ahead and include the comment, but. Come on, man. When it's kickoff time, don't give me that crap. You're a coach. You want He's win. using that line when he, if he gets a coach Notre Dame someday. See what I said when I beat you yeah. guys? <laughs> yeah. On the record, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, Pete, let's get into the, the openings coming up. and it's, it's loaded with talent, obviously, and a lot of that talent is associated with Notre Dame. Yeah, it's a pretty wild group. I mean, last year they had Robert Hainsey and C.J. Holmes uh, at, out there. C.J. Holmes, I think, had just committed before, and Robert Hainsey committed during... Two years prior, it was Tommy Kramer, Tony Jones Jr., Parker Boudreau, Chase Claypool committed at the event. Um, but overall, this has not been a real Notre Dame-centric recruiting event. It's out at Nike. Um, but this year, you've got Jamie and Franklin, Jason Adamalola, Obi Gufo, Derek Allen, George Takas will all be there. On top of that, Jack Lamb, Chase Cota, Kevin Austin, Amon Ross St. Brown, Houston Griffith, Jamari Salier, Cameron McGrone, PJ Mustafer. Just for starters, you probably you could list another You're gonna have a busy week. Yeah, you could list another ten guys that are worth checking in with. Um so it's um it's gonna be a wild event. And it's look, I I love these events because not because I'm like, well, I think that Derek Allen is really the fourth best safety in the country versus the eighth best safety. It's just like, can you play or can you not play? Do you have attitude or do you not have an attitude? And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> um, I wanna know who stands out. Dalen Hayes was there two years ago. He's committed to USC at the time, and I remember watching him and think, 
that dude is really good. Um, and he was playing middle linebacker at that point. Um, so it's, you can tell who's legit and who's just a guy. Uh, I've, other, also two years ago, I saw Jonathan Jones. I liked him, but you watched him and didn't think this is a, a one percenter type kid. Um, you knew he looked like he was a three-star prospect that was more of a long-term developmental type guy. So it's a it's an awesome event. There's a lot of evaluation. One of the best things is the linemen put on shoulder pads and helmets and really go one-on-one. It's not just... You know, you're in a t-shirt and shorts. Yeah, that's what um, makes it worth it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's so significant. That's awesome. yeah, unbelievable. Um, so it will be an awesome event. We're going to have a ton of content out there. I'll have interviews with all these guys, video with all these guys, uh, incident analysis, scout uh, analyst takes. Uh, the entire scout team will be out there. So it, it's going to be it's going to be an awesome event. We're going to learn a lot about what Nurem already has in their recruiting class, what they might have moving forward, and you know whether this class can sort of Maybe move Notre Dame a little bit closer. I mean, Brian Kelly has talked about, hey, we're just trying to be between 5 and 15. Well, can they be a little more 5 and a lot less 15? Um, <laughs> I, I, a big difference. Yeah, there's there, a huge difference there. And I, I think this week will show how much closer they are to 5 and 15. So it's going to be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a ton of questions, some good ones, some tough ones that um, really, I think, made us sit down and... I'm Chart out I'm impressed with the uh, well with done. The questions. Well done, Irish it's Illustrated reader. So we'll get uh, we'll get to you in segment two. Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, our burning up the board segment. ND Squid twenty three begins with one of the tougher questions we've had posed this off season. We've heard a lot about the strengths of Elko's defense and Chip Long's offense. What are their relative weaknesses? And this is a great question because it's always kumbaya, the new coordinators yeah. in, and look at all the stuff they do well. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how accurately we can, or how educated of an opinion we can give at this point, not having, we've all looked at film of them, but we, you know, we don't know the day-to-day uh, operation in the system, but... You know, I, I guess I would start with Chip Long and say if you look at Memphis's stats last year for all the talk about the two, the double tight end and the, the running game, you know, their passing yards was twice as much as their rushing yardage. So I think we still need to see just what, what kind of balance that, that they can strike offensively. Now, Chip Long says, you know, I've never had an offensive line like this. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I trust I, what he's saying that. They're going to emphasize the run a little bit more, but it was an imbalanced um, offense for Memphis yeah. last year. As far as Elko, <laughs> you're been, the wrong guy to ask. Yeah, right? I'm probably the wrong guy to ask to some extent because I mean, I just I liked everything that he's done with two and three star talent. I would, you know, just just extrapolating from what you see in, in defensive football, if you're going to bring pressure from a lot of areas you are going to leave yourself a little bit vulnerable on the back end. And right now, Notre Dame's not very good at safety. So I guess that's one of my concerns. Yeah, I would agree that if you have to, as we always talk about, manufacture a pass rush, it hurts you in other places because there's always right. a give and take. That's why every coach wants, every Notre Dame defensive coordinator would look better with Stefan Tuitt and Prince Jimbo and Capron Lewis Moore and Lewis Nix. Then everybody else behind them can make some plays because it's a lot easier for them. You know, with Long, it I think pace of play is a weakness only because it factors into the way Notre Dame's roster is assembled, where they don't have a lot of defensive line depth. Um, 
and he's on the other side. That's he's only he's only been an offensive coordinator for one year. Um, Is that a weakness? I don't know. It's more of an uncertainty. Well, it's an experience. Yeah. I thought the weakness of Mike Elko's defense is that his defense gets better every year. Meaning that his defense will not be that great this and year. It's important for and it's be. really yeah. important for Notre Dame to have a great defense now because of the heat that's on yeah. the head coach. Or a good defense now. We find they'll be fine on Yeah, there's truth hope. to that because his transitions have mm-hmm. you know taken a year. Yeah. And, uh, Point I, I, points per game, you know, went from 26.4 to 24.6 to 22.2 yards per carry went from 4.38 to 4.19 to 3.82 you know his his third year was his best by far not even close at both Bowling Green and Wake Forest you need to ha- make sure there's a third year yeah. in Notre Dame, and that's like a little bit of a concern right now with the state of the I mean, program. I don't know that that's his, quote, fault, no. per se. No, I, I think mean, that's most coordinated. I mean, yeah. look at Bob Yacob's third year at Notre Dame. Yeah, they were but good, good, and great. I, I believe the first few games of the Brian McGordy era were excellent. Yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> if but Brian McGordy just could have followed that same path, he'd have been great. The point is, there's no you don't look at his scheme and think, well, that's a weakness. I think the only weakness is that Mike Elko was telling the truth when he said, you don't just hire Mike Elko and everything is great. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some games. And you look at Notre Dame and he's like, does Notre Dame have games to afford that? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't either. I don't either. And, you know, I mean, he, the expectations are going to be so high because the, the Van Gorder era was so disastrous that you know the flip side now is that that you, you you demand immediate relief, and I'm not sure that he's going to be able to do that. Going back to the issue that we've been talking about, not just this past spring, not just last fall, but the previous fall, right along the defensive line. Yeah, it's, and there's we're going to be touching on a question down the road in this one. It actually is coming up next. I will go to that question because you mentioned the defensive line. Terry Benedict besides quarterback, what is the most important position in college football? How has Notre Dame done thus far in that category recruiting and production-wise under Kelly? Mm. I wouldn't even say besides quarterback. I'm going to say something after. No, I, it's def- yeah. defensive line. Right. Um, the question is, what's the third most important position? <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of what... Okay, here are some names to chew on as you're looking at Notre Dame's defensive line recruiting and whether it's been good or maybe not so good. it Lynch, Day, Eshek Williams, Troy Nicholas. Remember, he started as a freshman on the defensive line. I think line. he would have been a pretty good defensive Jerron Jones, Lewis Nix, Romeo Quara, Eddie Vanderdoes, Isaac Rochelle. I think if you looked at that group, you could throw Tony Springman as like a serviceable yeah. rotation player before he got hurt. That is a pretty damn good group of defensive linemen. Since 2014... Cage, Makwa, Bonner, Hill, Williams, Blankenship, Trombetti, Wallace, Tillery, Taylor, Dutredway, Tiasam, Hayes, Kareem, Ogandeje, the other Oquara, Tagavailo, Amosa, Wardlow, Heinish, Ewell, McAllister. That's the problem that Notre Dame is dealing with right now and, and why we're sort of parsing the knee of Daniel Cage as a really big deal. Right, and right. the foot of Elijah Taylor is a really big deal because... They are some of the better guys among a pretty weak group of defensive linemen. I, I agree, Tim. Defensive line yeah. is a greater priority than quarterback. And even if you just <laughs> want to say defensive tackle is a greater priority than yeah. quarterback because if you can't stop the run, it doesn't matter how good your edge rusher is. I mean, we've seen you, you, you teams have won national titles with serviceable quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. I mean, Notre Dame went 23-8 and eight with Tommy Reese at quarterback. Yeah. And I'm not ripping on him. That's a great thing. 
23 uh, and 8. They went 12 and 1 with redshirt freshman Everett Golson. Yeah, yeah I, they, mean, I mean, it's because of the defensive line. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that would be my point. Yeah. All right. So, so what, defensive line seven, or defensive tackle? 7 and 5, that's my prediction. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't only focus on the one position, though. So. All right, CPU 15. After Kevin Austin, who does the staff feel best about? A wide receiver, preferably somebody that looks and runs like a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like the idea. Um, I don't think they have a guy that they feel best about. Um, you know, they they feel very very good about Kevin Austin, and he's. You mean it's it, as far as the talent or getting a verbal commitment? Getting a verbal commitment. Okay. From. I think that their early days on Gordon Porter. He's sort of an interesting three-star guy from California. He's visiting in July. They offered him the same day Lindsay decommitted. He's somebody that it's worth tracking. Um, but, you know, could I sit here and say they feel great about Amon Ross St. Brown? No. Um, or Tommy Bush or Dylan Jack. They, they, they've got a lot of work to do. They probably feel, I'm asking you a question, they probably feel best about Bryce Jackson of all of those? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, and I don't, and I don't in any way think he's anywhere close to you know, Braden a, Lindsay. A month ago, I probably <laughs> would, no, a month ago I probably would have said yes. Then his quarterback committed to Texas, to Texas A and M, and the tight end he was supposed to visit with committed to Oklahoma. I don't think he's a difference maker, so I don't. I, I mean, I don't think yeah. that that really matters. But that was the guy that uh, you know I had mo- heard most recently as a possibility, and I don't. I don't think that he's a difference maker. I think it's okay if the guy that runs and looks like a tight end is uh, Chase Claypool. Other than that, I like fast wide receiver types too. But that <laughs> yeah. dude can get down the field. I mean, pretty, they have to figure out a way to do something surprising at wide receiver this cycle. And surprising is Amon Ross St. Brown and somebody like... I'm sorry, it's Kevin Austin, Kevin Austin. and somebody yeah, like yeah, Amon yeah, Ross St. Brown. Right. Um, or, you know, Tommy Bush would be somebody pretty interesting to me. He'll be the opening. He's a 6'5", but a speed 6'5". You know, those are hard to find. Uh, they I, they just have not recruited that well at wide receiver, in my opinion, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong and Michael Young are okay, but that, those are not guys that are, are really moving the needle for me. Chase Cota, they're probably not, they're not going to get in. It's hard to see how yeah. that... It's going to happen. Let me ask you about recent recruiting and wide receiver. What would be the best case? Now, a lot of it, Javon McKinley getting hurt didn't help his career arc. To yeah, start. that was rough. Yeah, that, that was hard. Yeah, but you know what? I, when I say recently with receiver recruiting, that's inaccurate. This yeah. last cycle was off. Right. Because right. I, I like McKinley and Claypool, obviously, and Stefferson. Yeah. That's an outstanding. That's a very group. good treatment. McKin- two McKin- years ago is recently. It was yes. McKinley <laughs> banged up in the preseason. I know he. I know he had the fibula in October. Was he banged up in the preseason? I don't think so. Okay. Well, my point is, he got passed up by Stephenson. Well, Stephenson was there early. Okay. Well, that's early. true. He but, definitely but got two receivers in his class emerged ahead of him before he had the broken fibula yeah. in, in yeah. October. So it's not a had, great sign in that he was supposed to be. I mean, he's the highest ranked as we just talked about this offseason because we have 120 days to analyze things. He's the highest ranked. Wide yes. receiver recruit yeah. Brian Kelly has ever brought in. Right. Mm-hmm. And you would not guess that considering they preferred Fink over him during the entire season. Yeah, he's rotating with Chris Fink right, right now. Um, so that's, I don't know. Uh, it, it, they need. But Stevenson was a three star who yeah. made an immediate impact. Yeah. So there's right. give and take there. It, it is. is. And yeah. it's like Kelly has said that he Speaking can be made which, we didn't talk about him in the first segment. We probably should address Kevin Yeah, Stevenson. we just mentioned that he's. Yeah. Just... And is there anything to address? 
I guess I'm not really sure what there is well, to address. Well, I think people are wondering if this has anything to do with the doghouse, and it doesn't. It's not like they were holding it over his head that this is the arrest for August. I mean, if, if Just in case people don't know this, yeah. he went to court because of August. It has nothing to do yeah. with anything else. That's not the doghouse. That's not the reason for the doghouse. And as long as he is in uniform, and he will be, we believe, August 6th, he's probably not going to yeah, be running yeah. third string anymore, right? I would hope not. Yeah, and then that's all we need so to know. It's significant. It's significant yeah. news. Then, if that then in turn leads him to being back into the mix, which he was not in the spring. I feel like these are unrelated. I think I think we're looking for a a relationship here that doesn't. Okay, then, in, then my, why, in my opinion, yeah. I agree. Why then? Why was he third on the team in receptions and second in I, touchdown receptions last year, but wasn't in the mix this spring? I'll. I'll answer that by asking a question. Why was he second on the team after getting arrested last year? Like, wouldn't that be put you in the doghouse? The actual arrest? Don't you have to do something else? I'm not saying anything about doghouse. I just want to know why he wasn't in the mix in the spring. I think it had to do with, like, attitude type stuff. I mean, because it it doesn't make any sense that his legal issues would have led him to a reduction. And Brian Kelly did make some comments that kind of led you to believe that it was an attitude attitude issue. I think he needs a clean summer off the field. Yeah. There's no question. There's no question about that. I just think it was like, if he was not in the doghouse last year, I don't know why he would be Yeah, okay, I get you. That's like kind of a weird... Punishment. Yeah. Like, so, but he did something else, and that's so they're lo- they're yes. looking yeah. for more of a guy that's on the same page with them, right. more of a team player, more of a put the team first, put me second. That put the team first with your off field decisions. Make good decisions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would say is you know a guy like on Friday nights and Saturday nights make good decisions. Like that's important, and that's that's what happens in college. <laughs> okay, so I get I get what you're coming yeah. from as you far know? as not being interconnected, but. It was good that we say that, just so that yeah, people yeah. have a little. It's like better... um, so Lewis Nix, Konerschmeike from a few years ago. Lewis Nix was suddenly running with the second team during spring practice. Didn't make any sense, and then the season came around and he was running with the first team again. I think it's just maybe sending a message to Kevin Stefferson that hey, get your stuff together, um, opposed to because you were in the legal process and facing one year probation, you will be running with a third team. I don't think it. I don't think I those gotcha. two things go together. I gotcha. Okay, we move on to uh, SR5452. With the tight numbers for this recruiting class, uh, Nordim is in on a bunch of high-level recruits. Can you see some guys on this current roster being, quote, pushed out? Yes. Uh, we've I, already. Yeah. We've kind of already seen. Yeah, I think we? that's happened. I mean, I don't know, but I'm a little reluctant to use the term, term pushed out. I think it's... Well, the fifth-year guys will yeah. be told not to come back. But right. As opposed to hang around and maybe we'll need you. There's going to yeah. be saying no. There's some of that, and I think the coaching staff is is does not have a problem going to a player and be like, "You are not going to play." Yeah, that's and, just honest. And then you get to decide it. what you want to do right. with that. If you want to stay, great. But if you want to play, you need to leave. Chuck Martin did a lot of that at Miami yeah. the first couple of years. <laughs> by the way, uh, Brian Kelly did a lot of that at Cincinnati. It's yeah. just you can't do it as yeah. easily at Notre Dame. So yeah. they won't be pushed out technically. They will be told their lot in life. Yeah, on the field, and that's fine. I mean, there are guys on the team that have been passed by younger players. You know, I think when Darnell Ewell gets here, if he's as good as he needs to be, um, then that's going to be eye-opening for Micah Dutreadway and Brandon Tiasum, maybe Elijah Taylor. It will especially be if Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa is. Because yeah, then you know you're not going to play when you have two guys that are passing you, as opposed to just that's the best That's a better point. 
Um, yeah, I'm really yeah. hoping for that. I'm kind of picturing, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're trying you to pe- push people. Well, everywhere. I mean, I mean, you know, when you when you you look at film and you, you picture in your mind what kind of player he's going to be, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at Taco Valoa as this long, you know, gap creasing kind of play altering guy, and I hope he is. I've already feel that that that's how Ewell's going to be, and they need it. They need yeah. it big time. I mean, it's safety, you know. Isaiah Robertson is already their fourth best safety, right? Yeah. Um, you know, let's say Jordan Genmark Keith comes in and he's their fifth best safety. If you're if you're DJ Morgan or Ashton White, I mean, and you're looking at it and be like, wait a minute, I'm I just got passed by two two freshmen. And they who just had, brought in a former starter from Navy that right. beat us. <laughs> you know, this, this transfer is ripping ahead of me. And then I mean Derek Allen is irrelevant to this conversation, but I think you'd have to look at it and be like, uh Okay, maybe maybe I'm just not I'm not going to get an opportunity here, and it's early enough in my career that I can get an opportunity somewhere else. So. There'll be plenty of honest conversations. There right will there. be, but some kids, you know, in most instances, they want to play football, so they'll leave. There are those kids that football's not that important. I'm not that good. I'm going to stay and get my degree. Both smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, really, it is. All right. Next up, ND six fifteen. Rank the top two units, in other words, USC on offense, Stanford on defense, that in your opinion will give Notre Dame the most trouble this season. I think Clemson's defensive tackles in January will be a huge problem for the uh, Irish. In the... Oh, I was being optimistic. Really? I was being optimistic. <laughs> wow. <Yes>. So uh, <laughs> my, first, my first two, there's actually there's a lot of good units they face mm-hmm. this year, and I think it is more important to look at it that way. It's a good question because when you say player, unless it's Sam Darnold, you just put too much emphasis on one guy it's usually a unit that that it wasn't like stanford's one player you wouldn't just say oh man scoff killed them for four years it was boy their linebackers killed notre dame for four years so i mean the first thing that comes to mind is usc's quarterback but if you're going position group i thought north carolina state's defensive line i wrote them down because it follows usc and i think because of the point pete made kind of hammering it home now georgia's running backs in game two is a different world than Temple's running backs in game one. And it's, as you said, the defense is learning. And I think that's a tough one. I think you could name about yes, there's four Georgia units. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. Yeah. And three of them are on the defensive <laughs> yeah, side yeah. of the ball. I think they're loaded defensively, and, they're, and their running backs are the best on the schedule. I don't, there's that's no doubt about it. No. Stanford has good DBs. Georgia has good defensive players all coming back at every unit. Um, USC has good linebackers. But, you know, I good think. Quarterback. Good quarterback. Yeah, good quarterback. Um, yeah, I think they guess the sneaky one, not, maybe not anymore because people talk about it a lot, is NC State's defensive yeah. line. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see teams like, does cause BC, I, I saw something on BC because I kind of dismissed their defense last year because they gave up 40 to the good teams they played. They gave up 12 points a game to the other eight teams they played. So will Notre Dame be rolling enough to just take advantage of the talent level? They're, I mean, they don't have the defense they had a couple years ago, right. but they're fine. If you give up 12 points a game against eight other teams, but you get ripped up by Clemson and Florida State, there's no shame in getting destroyed by Clemson and Florida State when you're BC. Are they a quality enough defense to give Notre Dame trouble in that scenario? That'll be the one that we don't know until you see Brandon Wimbush paired up against guys that know what they're doing and play their role properly. Harold Landry, I mean, he's... What do you have, like 25 tackles for loss last year? I mean, he's really good. They have some play. Yeah, there's there's players out there that it's... This would be a fun way to look at it the other way, too, from an optimistic viewpoint. Maybe next week, see what where Notre Dame can, against the better teams, what position group would give them trouble. Yeah. I wrote down Navy just from a coaching staff perspective as well. I mean, yeah. that's a great... That's In terms of the best head coach Notre Dame goes against this year, 
you know, Shaw is obviously very good, but Niamatololo is also quite good. Yeah. And those are like two of the last three staffs they go against. I mean, Mark Richt, also no joke. So Navy's offensive backfield is probably the answer because that is the hardest thing to deal with in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just if everything else works out well for them or not. But that, that group does well every single time. Those three dudes running around back there. Yeah. All right, why don't you guys read this question because it'll take me 12 minutes and I'll screw it up. So. <laughs> Air Pirate 73, what will be the main differences between Coach Kelly's offensive line and Coach Long's offensive lines? I understand the emphasis on passing that Kelly has been wedded to since arriving, but Coach Long will be running and passing to both our tight ends and wide receivers. So will the change in our blocking concepts when passing in Coach Long's offense as opposed to Coach Kelly's offense, what will those changes be? Is it an our, offensive our, line question more than a philosophy question? Well, I think, to, I think to, to some extent, it. because I think the interesting relationship is Chip Long and Harry Heastan, mm-hmm. which, you know, we heard about in the spring. And I think, you know, again, as Notre Dame followers or observers, that's what you wanted to hear. You want to hear that that relationship between the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach is, is very tight and they communicate. And, you know, as far as I don't know that any of us – are in a position to talk about scheme concept changes along the offensive line. With, uh, nope. With it. I, I, I mean, I know I'm not, we're, we're not, so I don't, not so even we're going to pretend. Right. We're not, we're not going to go there, but I do. The, the first thing that comes to mind to me is the relationship between the play caller and the offensive line coach, yeah. which I think is significant. And I think we'll be bringing up that, you know, he passed twice as much at Memphis. You're going to pass twice well, as passing much. Well, yard, passing, passing yardage. yardage yeah, passing yes. yardage. I'm sorry. It's going to happen at Memphis. You need to pass to stay in the games, too. Yeah, and they had, a, every, they had yeah. a quarterback transfer that they had to, if we, to maximize in one year. If you pull out their seven closest games, is there a disparity? That's what you look at at Memphis because you're going to get beat by – I mean, there's teams you're going to have to pass to move the ball against when you're playing up a couple times a year in September against better teams. I mean, it's just yeah. a different world. Yeah, because right? like ball control against Houston. Right, right. So there's, there's just, that's really not, look, philosophy for the offensive line, I can't tell you, but if Brian Kelly remembers what got him there, and by there I mean his best seasons is good offensive line on the left side, you like your other offensive linemen, you have three good running backs, you have you a quarterback that can run, with tight you're ends. loaded with tight ends, you're not loaded with speed on the outside necessarily that you can rely on. When Bush is a first-year starter, what would you do? Yeah, I mean... He hinted at what he wants to run the ball. The, the blueprint is... Throw it everywhere. Right? Like, no! <laughs> the blueprint tells you what direction you should go. And yet, you have a whole bunch of 6'4", 6'5", receivers that you want to get the ball in, in their hands, so... Yeah, I, I think it's... Yeah, they're not going to be ground chucks. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's like, nuts. oh, it's zone blocking versus man blocking, and like we're changing it up as the season goes on. It's just like... I think a more vertical running game, sort of like how they were when Chuck Martin was here, would be reasonable. Um, you know, opposed to the delay stretch outside stuff. That uh, I seem, totally agree. With seemed that. to want to do last year that never really <laughs> seemed to work that well. Um, you know, Josh Adams hit a few big ones, but just go. I mean, I think will be up tempo and more vertical. Just power forward. I am, stuff. I, you know, you made a good point earlier, Pete. I think about up tempo and and whether that's counterproductive to what your situation is defensively. I think it'll be interesting. And, and yet Chip Long will say, hey, I can dictate the pace without the players even knowing that I'm doing it. Um, I'm not sure that that's the best approach for them this year is up-tempo on a consistent basis. And we've heard up-tempo in the past, and you know after a series or two, 
it's no longer <laughs> up tempo. So we will find out whether Chip Long, you know, adheres to that yeah. philosophy. Yeah, I don't know how much he likes to be checked with on the sidelines. I mean, I think Brian Kelly wanted to have his hands on what was happening all the time, and for the most part, his quarterbacks needed to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, was, you had a bunch of first-year starters, and then and Tommy Reese were running up tempo. Didn't make any sense. So yeah. uh, this is maybe one of the maybe a departure from that. And yeah, I'll be curious to see how the up tempo fits in with the defensive personnel that they have. Um, you know, are you trying to take big shots all the time? Or are you trying to have more like an up-tempo 12-play drive opposed to an up-tempo 3-play drive? Um, I don't know. but I think, well, I mean, Long wants that up-tempo 12-play drive. Yeah, yeah. we go with up-tempo scoring drives. <laughs> I don't care what damn tempo. You put the ball in the end zone, I don't care what damn tempo yeah. you're on. Yeah, that, now, that would be more Brian Kelly's yeah. uh, MO there, so... That's it for this week. I think it's all our all of our questions here. We're going to be back on Tuesday, July 11th, post opening. Probably a couple more commitments to talk about, and um, we'll see. I don't know. There'll be a whole lot of team news in July, but uh, let's hope not. Yeah, <laughs> not, knock on wood. No. So that's it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening.